Our Bible reading this morning comes from the second book of Timothy in chapter 2 and we'll be starting at verse 14. So 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 14. Keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarrelling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection has taken place, and they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. In a large house there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes, and some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace among those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Do not have anything to do with foolish or stupid arguments, because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Good morning. It's nice to be back. I've been away for a week or two of leave. Uh, it was a good time away, but it is good to be back and be at home uh, with you. Uh, this morning we're going to be taking a little break from our series in 1 Peter, uh, and we're going to go to a sermon that I had in the bank, uh, but a sermon that I hope will be helpful for us as a church. Uh, it's something of a little health check. Uh, we're going to go to the doctor today and just make sure things are going okay. And in the coming months, uh, we might return to this little series from time to time and have a one-off sermon as we check up on the health of our church. I want to begin by telling you a shocking and true story. In 1997, the police rocked up to a mansion in San Diego. Inside they stumbled on the scene of a mass suicide. 39 people lying there in matching outfits, matching Nike shoes, matching haircuts. They'd all poisoned themselves together and they believed that when they died, their souls were going to be lifted up to this extraterrestrial spacecraft which was hovering perfectly at that time and they were going to be taken to the heavenly realm. Uh, they were part of a cult called Heaven's Gate, uh, and I listened to a podcast on them a couple of years ago. Now, one of the most fascinating things about cults like Heaven's Gate is learning about how they began. Because the beginnings are often not half as weird as how they end. In fact, sometimes they're very normal. In the case of Heaven's Gate, well, it began with 
two people reading the Bible. And a lot of what this cult believed was what the Bible taught. Which starts to make you wonder, how do we make sure that we don't end up where they did? Now, of course, most churches don't turn into weird cults that believe in UFOs and aliens. But lots of churches drift from the gospel and start teaching some pretty dodgy things. You know, you only have to browse some of the sermons on the internet or some of the Christian videos on YouTube or tune into a a Christian radio station to realize it is not hard to twist and distort what the Bible says. In fact, you might have seen this firsthand. You might have been part of a church where this happened. And you might have seen how easily it started to divide people and actually tear that church apart. And this isn't something new. Even 2,000 years ago, when Paul is writing this letter to Timothy, there were churches that had people teaching and believing in false gospels. People in the church who seemed like a wise, godly teacher, but they had some funky theology. And the Bible calls these people false teachers. And it's actually a really big topic through the New Testament. We need to realize that false teaching is not a minor issue in the church. It doesn't just happen occasionally. And it's not just out there. It is in here. It is an issue that comes into our churches and it sits in our pews and it tears us apart from the inside. Which is why our passage this morning is so important. It helps us to stop and ask the question, how do we protect Riverbank from false teaching? It's something we need to think about. We can't just hope for the best. We can't just hope it won't happen to us. What do we do to make sure that our church stays healthy and focused on the gospel? Well, the passage that we're looking at this morning, it gives us two great answers to these questions. Two ways to make sure that our church remains strong and faithful to God. The first thing is this. Healthy churches are serious about teaching the truth. Healthy churches are serious about teaching the truth. See, the big problem with false teaching is that it draws people away from the gospel. We see a glimpse of this happening in Timothy's church. Verse 14 says that there is quarreling about words. Verse 16 says that there's godless chatter. And then in verse 17, we meet a couple of the ringleaders of this false teaching called Hymenaeus and Philetus, and they're going around saying that the resurrection's already happened. We don't actually get a lot of info about this teaching. Paul's focus isn't so much on the specifics of that heresy, but on the damage that it does in the church. See how it affects the church. Verse 14, it ruins people. Verse 16, it leads some into more and more ungodliness. Verse 18, it even destroys some people's faith. Now, some of you here today uh, have cancer or have had cancer. Unfortunately, it's all too familiar these days, isn't it? And the thing, I think, that makes cancer scary is the way it spreads. It starts small, it seems subtle, it goes unnoticed, but it spreads like a stealthy poison until it takes down the whole body, makes the whole body sick. And when a church 
starts drifting away from the gospel, things start going wrong. Subtly at first and then not so subtly. Some arguments, some quarrels, leadership struggles, rifts, divisions, resentment, people leaving the church, people leaving the faith. So what's the solution? How do we avoid this? Well, the answer this passage gives us is be a church that loves God's Word. How? How do we do that? Well, it starts by being a church that is serious about the preaching and teaching of the Bible. Verse 15, have a look at it. Paul is talking to Timothy, the pastor in Ephesus, and he says, Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. That's the primary job of a pastor, to correctly handle the word of truth. Preach the gospel accurately, faithfully, boldly. Literally, that phrase means cut it straight. Correctly handle, it means cut it straight. Kind of like a smooth, uh, straight road that has been cut through this jagged, rocky mountain pass. And it, and it leads the traveler safely through to their destination. And, and Paul's actually making a play on words here. Because the true teachers, they cut God's word straight. But in verse 18, the false teachers have literally swerved from the truth. They've cut a road that leads off a cliff. Uh, Sean and I used to rent a house that was about 100 years old. Uh, apparently it was built in the 1920s. And even though it was built about a century ago, it was still in pretty good condition. It was still solid. It showed that the builder did a really good job. <laughs> but then at some point, someone had come along and done an extension. And let me tell you, it was not hard to work out where the original house ended and the extension began. You didn't have to look out a window if you wanted to see through to the backyard because the cracks and the gaps were so big. And the woodwork in the dining room was just shocking that nothing matched up. It was just a hodgepodge of different pieces of timber stuck together. The reality is that some tradies are dodgy. I hope none of you here are. Their woodworking literally swerves from the truth, and if you look closely, you can see it. But then there are other workmen who do a top-quality job, and you can tell they've cut it straight, and they put in the time, and it shows. And Paul is saying to Timothy, he's saying to all pastors and teachers in the church, you need to be top-quality tradespeople. Leading God's church, Teaching his word is not something to take lightly. In fact, verse 15 says, we must present ourselves to God. More than anything else, we want to stand before him unashamed of our work and say, here, look, here's here's what I did and have God bless it. It means that your pastor is accountable to God for what he teaches. They're not allowed to change the message to fit with the times to tell you what you want to hear. God's servant called to speak God's words. And and isn't that the kind of teaching that we want here at Riverbank? You might have wondered why we send preachers to Bible college for four years 
Jed's studying now. <laughs> He'll tell you what a long process it is. There's Greek and there's Hebrew and there's exegesis and there's grueling exams. And you can wonder why we bother. Well, we bother because we want to be a church that teaches the truth. And that starts in the pulpit. But being a church that loves God's Word is not just the job of the preacher. If we're going to be a church that is strong against false teaching, every one of us needs to be serious about the truth of God's Word. Every one of us. This is going to affect the leaders that we choose in our church. It's why we're not just going to put anyone on as an elder. It's why we encourage every growth group to have a leader who is gifted to guide the group. It means that our youth leaders are going to need to do more than just know how to lead fun activities. But it's not just about leaders, it's actually every one of us who need to be serious about God's Word. Did you notice at the start in verse 14, Paul said, keep reminding God's people of these things. In other words, remind everyone in the church to constantly keep focusing on the truth. It's a common feature of a cult, isn't it? Uh, that they have this really charismatic leader. And they are so drawn to following this leader that they kind of stop thinking for themselves. But just because someone stands up and preaches a dramatic, impressive sermon, well, does that mean that it's God's Word? You will have noticed that here at Riverbank, we put the Bible on the screen every week as we do the Bible reading. And I think that's great. It makes it welcoming for new people, people who might have never held a Bible in their hands their whole life and would have no idea where the book of Exodus is. But, to be honest, I think something is seriously wrong at Riverbank if those of us who are committed Christians can't even be bothered opening up the Bible during a sermon. Two, two finger clicks to open up an app on your phone is too hard. And we don't follow along with the passage. That, that actually scares me as a preacher. It scares me that you might be content to listen to Reuben without knowing if it's God speaking. We need to be a church that loves God's Word and is eager about getting the truth right. What, what would it look like to be a church that does this? We would, we would test whether the sermon matches what the Bible says. And at our growth group, so we would dig into the Bible. We'd really dig in. And we wouldn't brush aside the challenges and the application that come out of it. And I think we'd be serious about using the Bible as we do outreach and evangelism. Be part of our one-to-one -one Bible reading strategy, that we might sit down and read God's Word with someone who isn't a believer. It means that we would be careful not to get caught up in unnecessary debates and quarreling over the pedantic things that don't matter. And when we do get in a discussion, a good discussion about baptism, about some sort of theology, it would mean not just arguing our opinions back and forwards, oh, well, I think this and you think that. No, we'd open the Word together. We'd consider what it says, we'd do it humbly, with love, and we'd agree that God's Word's going to have the authority, not us. 
And then if we don't understand something, if we've got this question about, about hell, about, about homosexuality or whatever it is, uh, instead of jumping straight on Google, maybe we would turn to the Bible for answers or turn to a leader who we trust and, and see what they have to say. So how, how are we going with this as a church, do you think? Well, of course we've got room to grow, but I actually think that our church and our denomination tends to be quite good at this. Reformed churches tend to be strong on Bible preaching and Bible teaching and, and theology. And it's worth us pausing for a minute and just realizing what a blessing that is to be part of a church that's serious about God's Word. You know, I've been amazed in the last 18 months how many people I've met here at Riverbank coming in off the street, coming in from other churches and saying, huh, it's just really refreshing to find a church that opens the Bible and teaches it. People are shocked to find that. It's like they've come in from a desert and they've found some refreshing water. But if that's our strength, then there's also something we need to be careful about. Because it's possible to have all the right theology and all the answers and to pat ourselves on the back and all the while we have hearts that are not stirred and not touched and not changed by God's Word. Wouldn't that be ironic? Wouldn't that be tragic? The whole reason Paul urges the church to be serious about the Bible is that so that more and more we'll be growing to be a healthy church. A church that loves God, that loves each other, that loves our community. That's our vision here at Riverbank. To be a church that is pulsing with life and with hope and with love and with peace, with truth. And it all starts with Jesus, with, with His life, with His love, as it is revealed in the Bible. Uh, I used to work for a business called Budget Fitness. Uh, it was this really small business. Uh, it hired out gym equipment to people's homes. You know, someone might get a treadmill in their lounge room for three months. And because the business was so small, I was in charge of everything. Uh, if the phone rang, it was my job to answer it. I would service the machines, I would deliver them to their houses, I would pick them up afterwards. And if a customer rang through with a complaint or an issue, uh, it was my job to deal with it. And I couldn't handball it. It was my responsibility. And I still remember how stressful that job was. I think it just came from feeling alone, like it all rested on my shoulders. And I wonder if we sometimes feel like that when it comes to the church. We feel like the life and the health of the church, even of Christianity, rests on our shoulders. It's easy to feel daunted and worried. Maybe we're worried about people we know who aren't firm in their faith. People aren't as committed as they should be. Maybe you just have this burning desire to see this church grow stronger and healthier. Maybe you're worried about another church or another teacher that's straying from the truth. Maybe you're worried about a family member or a loved one who's impacted by false teaching at the moment. Well, if, if that's you, be encouraged by verse 19. Paul goes on to say this, Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, The Lord knows those who are His. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. 
See, the church is like a building. Hannah's been talking about that this morning already. It's been built by God. It's been built on a firm foundation and engraved on this foundation, maybe in a little bronze plaque down the bottom. God has written these words. This church belongs to me and none of my sheep will be lost. Isn't that encouraging? False teachers won't get the last word. God is the one who protects his people through his word. He knows those who are his, we can, we can trust him. All right, we have seen that healthy churches are serious about teaching the truth. And now there's one other way that Paul wants to show us a way that our church can stay healthy and strong. It's this, healthy churches are also serious about living the truth. We're serious about teaching the truth, and then we're serious about living the truth. And verses 20 to 21, Paul describes the church as being like a great house. Uh, maybe you think of some sort of pride and prejudice mansion or something. Uh, and in this house, of course, there are lots and lots of different objects. Uh, some objects uh, are for special, honorable use. Maybe this beautiful gold candlestick, maybe a silver goblet. And then there are other objects in the house that are for common, dishonorable use. Uh, perhaps the rubbish bin. Perhaps the chamber pot under the bed. And the point is this. Just because the object is in a beautiful house doesn't mean it's a beautiful object. Uh, in my parents' kitchen, there are always two towels hanging near the oven. Uh, the tea towel is for drying dishes. The hand towel is for drying your hands. And if you know what's good for you and you don't want to feel mother's wrath, uh, you will never dry your hands on the tea towel. Uh, she's actually probably the most gentle, lovely woman I know. But uh, Those towels, they might look similar, but they have different functions, at least according to mum. And Paul is saying that just because someone is a leader or a teacher in your church does not mean they're teaching the truth. There are fakes. There are false teachers in the church. Now, I don't know. Maybe not in Riverbank at this point in time, but definitely in the wider Christian community. And that is something to be aware of and careful about. And it raises the question, well, what do we do? How do we respond to that? And that's where it gets interesting. Because Paul has just warned Timothy, hey, there are false teachers in your church. Look at what Paul tells Timothy to do about it. He doesn't say, go find a stick and drive them out of your church. He doesn't say, go and sort them out with a killer theological argument about the resurrection. No, he tells him to take a good hard look at himself, to start with the man in the mirror. Read verse 21 with me. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Uh, if you're a leader at Riverbank, uh, this, this next bit is especially for you. Tune in if you're an elder or a deacon or a growth group leader or a ministry leader of any kind. Listen up. How do we keep this church healthy? How should we deal with problems in our church? By cleansing ourselves from what is dishonorable, that is not being influenced by false teachers, and committing ourselves completely to God's work. 
In other words, love the gospel and then seek to live it out. That's how you make yourself useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. And then the next few verses, Paul unpacks what that looks like. It looks like fleeing from evil youthful passions. It looks like pursuing righteousness and faith and love and peace. It looks like avoiding arguments and quarrels. It's being kind and patient even when people treat us badly. And I don't know about you leaders, but that hits me pretty hard. Because when you've got problems and issues in the church, what do you, what do you tend to do? Isn't it easy to start pointing fingers, to start complaining, to feel frustrated? I wonder if perhaps there are people and things in this church that you are trying to improve, and probably with good intentions, but you are motivated by frustration or by a judgmental attitude. Are you patient and kind, or do you tend to be blunt? Are you holding on to grudges? Do you, do you find yourself sucked into unnecessary arguments and debates? When you have to go and deal with someone else's sin, how humble and gracious are you? Paul says to Timothy, well, if you want to be useful to God as a leader in the church, then I'll tell you where to start. You've got to get on your knees and you've got to confess your own sin to God. You've got to cry out to Jesus. He's the only one who can make you holy. And if you aren't purified by Him and you aren't dedicated to Him, then you're going to be useless. Unless you've let the gospel soak into your own heart and it's profoundly humbled you, God's grace has brought you low, then you're not ready to serve Him. But there's also great encouragement in verse 21. If anyone does cleanse himself, he'll be an instrument for special purposes. Isn't that the good news of the gospel, that God will take someone weak and someone sinful, like me, like you, and then he would transform us into clean vessels and then he would even be pleased to use us. So what does a true teacher, a true leader in the church look like? Well, they look like verses 22 to 25. They're worth going back to those verses. They're people who prove that their message is true by the way that they live. They embody the gospel. Okay, I want to talk to everyone again now. If you tuned out, you can come back in. Uh, I wonder, are these the types of leaders that we tend to appreciate and choose here at Riverbank? Uh, are we just drawn to the leaders who are dynamic and popular and have intriguing things to say or the leaders who are faithful to God's word and mature and loving and patient we want leaders to pursue these good things because we want them to lead us into those good things don't we do you see how that works the type of leaders that we choose will affect the type of church that we become it'll affect the type of Christian that you become now, not all of us are going to be like Timothy, preaching and teaching, but all of us are called to live out the gospel in a way that is loving and gentle and Christ-like. We're all called to be true followers of Jesus in a world of lies. We all face the challenge of living out the gospel with love and gentleness and patience. 
And the exciting thing is that as we do that, God promises to work through us. He doesn't just promise to keep us strong and healthy, but He promises to use us. What does God use us for? The answer is there in verse 25. We love and serve and teach in the hope that God might grant people repentance, that more and more people would be freed from the snare of the devil. That is what the gospel is always about. That is what a healthy gospel church always looks like. It is about Christians who love the gospel and they live it out. And as they do that, more and more people are saved by Jesus. And God might use you to bring hundreds to faith. Or he might not. But the wonderful news is that we aren't in control of that. Did you notice who grants the repentance in this passage? It's God. Who uses and equips us? It's God, the master of the house. Who builds the firm foundation of the church? It's God, the shepherd of his sheep. We're so blessed, aren't we, to be part of a church that isn't torn apart by false teaching. I'm really grateful that we're not all part of a cult, that we didn't rock up here today with matching haircuts, and that we're not considering mass suicide so that we can all become aliens. But let's not settle for an okay church. Uh, Well, hey, you know, at least we don't have any major issues kind of a church. God wants us to be a church that is alive and thriving, and He will make us into that as we humbly rely on His Word and His Spirit. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for your word, the Bible, that we're not alone, we're not deaf, we're not struggling to hear you speak and wondering what you're thinking and wondering what we should do next. Thank you that you have spoken with authority and with clarity, a message oozing with grace and love and hope for our hurting world. Help us to cling to this truth, we pray, to teach it, to love it, Never to stray from it and think that our own wisdom, our own ideas are better. We pray that Riverbank would be a church that is firmly founded on your word and that its leaders would lead the way in that. We pray that the gospel would saturate the way in which people live and act in this church, that we would model the gospel in our kindness and our patience and our gentleness and our love, holding to the truth but doing it in such a gentle, tender way. And we pray that as we do that, you would save more and more, Lord. Send us out into this dark world with your light and we pray would you save many more souls, bringing them to repentance and freeing them from the snare of the devil. We ask this all, Lord, uh, in your power and for your glory. Amen.